If you will this morning turn with me to our text. It's found in the Gospel of John, third chapter, verse 7. should be very familiar ground to all of us. The words this morning are in red, which means our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said it. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Let us pray. Lord, how great thou art, how merciful thou art, and how long-suffering thou art toward us. Lord, I pray and thank thee, Lord, for thy great grace, the depth of thy love, thy love that constrains us each day of our lives, thy mercies that are new each day, thy grace that is given sufficient for each day, and Lord, the grace of thy Spirit to instruct us in thy, in thy Son. O oh Lord, may you this day give us a deep understanding of our necessity. Lord, impress upon us this gospel truth. Out of the mouth of thy Son, may thy Spirit bring it to our souls this morning. And may you be pleased and glorified in all that is said. Plow our hearts this day, Lord. Answer those questions we have in our minds and our souls. For you are sufficient for these things. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The text today, as I said, we've heard this preached many times from this section in John 3, verse 7. But I think this morning, before we get to our text, we've got to back up to chapter 2. Because chapter 2, a lot takes place in chapter 2, and a lot that takes place in chapter 2 leads to why Jesus said what he did to Nicodemus in verse 7 in our text this morning. So I'm not going to read the entirety of uh, chapter 2, but there's three things that take place. And the first one is Jesus' first miracle while he walked upon this earth. And that was in Cana of Galilee. Jesus was there and he was at a uh, marriage feast and um, they ran out of wine. And his mother uh, was very upset that they ran out of wine, and he told the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. And we pick right up in verse 7, where Jesus said unto them, the servants, he said, fill the water pots with water. That's it. That's all he did. He willed the water to be wine. In doing so, Jesus showed his omnipotent power over all things. There was no moving of hands. There was no magical words. There was no transformation or anything added to the water or anything like that. Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And at that moment, the very water was transformed into wine. So the first thing we see is that Jesus established his um omnipotent, sovereign power over all things. Okay? And we look at verse 11. It said, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Many that were around saw that miracle. The people at the feast saw that miracle and they believed because of the miracle. Okay? So that was the beginning of, the, of what it says, that he manifested forth his glorious power. 
Then the next thing that took place, we're told that the cleansing of the temple took place, and it was the Jews' Passover. This was the first of four that Jesus would go to because he had to fulfill all righteousness. He had to fulfill the law, and he fulfilled, went to all the feasts, did all the things that were in the Jewish traditions and things at the time and their laws. And this was the first one he would attend. And as he was going into the temple, he saw those that sold ox and sheep and doves and the changers of money. Now listen, it's hard for us to imagine this. When we hear these things, we think of a marketplace. We think of a place like a flea market or something like that where people go and they buy animals and they buy um, the things that they have need of. But at the temple was where all the sacrifices were done for sin. So people who would come to the temple, they didn't always have um, the things necessary to offer for sacrifice. So they set up this marketplace in the middle of the temple. And they had all of these animals. And they had money changers there. So if you had a, a different currency, as we do today in different countries or you came from a place and you wanted to worship there and you wanted to buy, they would, trans, uh, they would take your money and exchange it for what you needed to buy your sacrificial animals. Okay? So Jesus, in verse 15, when he made a scourge of small court, he drove them all out of the temple. Some would say this is his second miracle. Think about this. One man goes into the temple where all these animals are, all the people who sell them, all the money changers sitting there. He makes a scourge of small cords and he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and he overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. No man that had ever walked the face of the earth used that terminology, my father. Jesus would for the first time. And all the religious Pharisees there heard that. And then his disciples remembered that it was written. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy of David's in Psalm 69, 9, where he said, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So the second thing we see, Jesus established his zeal to do his Father's will. The power to do his Father's will. The establishment that it is his Father. That the two of them are one. That the two of them are kin. That Jesus is a, has came to serve his Father and to do his will. That's the second thing. Then the Jews, the religious Jews, the Pharisee, said unto him in 18, What sign do you show us seeing you do these things? Well, changing water to wine... And showing the zeal of his father where he went in with strength and power and authority that no man had ever seen was not enough. So Jesus says to him, says to them, destroy this temple. 
He speaks directly at them because of their desire to kill him that would be coming. To destroy him. He said, even if you destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. Showing again his power over life and his power over death. He is the Lord of life. He is the Lord of the resurrection. And he shows them all again. You want to see a sign? You believe that you have the power to destroy this temple. And we're told right here, the Jews took it physically. Like we always understand man to take everything physically. What about me? What is my part? How does this fit into my life? And Jesus spoke above them. But he spoke plainly. And he established authority. And he established who he was. And then the Jews said, oh, it took 46 years. And you say you're going to rear it up in three days. And the scriptures tell us in 21, he spoke of his body. I will raise myself from the grave. You think you have the power to put me there. Jesus would lay down his life. They didn't even have the power to put him there. They conspired, but they didn't even do it. It was the Romans who did it at their bidding. But we're told in Acts that it was the great Father's will for all of those things. Remember, Jesus established, I'm here to do my Father's will. And all of that now is established and Jesus would lay down his life, and the third day he would raise from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over sin, victorious over the wicked one, victorious over our flesh. And we need to know that, and we need to see that. So those are three things. And you think, wow, those are, those are miraculous things, that's great power that Jesus showed forth. And he did. But what happened? Look at 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, same place, same event, at the last day, oh, I'm sorry, in the feast day, many believed in his name. He showed this authority, changed water to wine. He basically put the Pharisees in their place. And they looked at this man. And they said, we believe in you. Because you've done something that no other man has ever done. We think, we stop right there, we would say, wow, what a blessed feast day. What a blessed time. What a blessed event. But then we're told something tragic. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all. He knew something was missing because something hadn't been given. They saw his zeal. They saw what he had to say. They saw the miracle working. But he knew all. The omniscient Lord knows all then today, yesterday, and forever. He knows your state sitting in that seat right now. And I'm not talking about you living in Florida. Your state before Him. He knows it right now. That's a sobering thought. I want you to think of our text. You must be born again. The absolute necessity of it. 
That's what Jesus is proving out here. I could do the highest miracles. I can make a man come out of a tomb. I can change a crazy man and make him sane in his mind and set him at my feet to worship me. And you won't believe. Because the Lord knows all men. He knows what's in all men. He knows all. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He doesn't need me up here to tell him how bad man is. He doesn't need you and, and, and anyone else to sit and tell him every day how bad man is. He knows the fall of man, the depravity of man. Now I want you to keep all of that in your mind. Why did not these people believe? Why is it today that people don't believe in Christ's finished work? Why is it today that people don't believe in His complete salvation by grace? Why is it today that people don't believe in complete dependency upon Him? Why? When He walked this earth and He showed man all of His power, He established His authority. He established that He was sent of the Father. He rose again. He healed the sick. So now we go to our text. Jesus said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now I said already, we know the story. I'm not going to sit here and read the story. But there are some highlights in it and some things I want to say today because what I want to focus on is those five words. Ye must be born. But I want, to, I want you to notice something that when Nicodemus came to him in verse 2, he came to Jesus by night and he came to tell Jesus what he knew. And we're told that Nicodemus was a ruler. Nicodemus every day taught the preachers of that day. He taught the rabbis. He was well schooled in the word of God. He was well schooled in the scriptures. He was well schooled in the laws. He was a ruler. He was one of the Sanhedrin, the highest religious order. Religion. And he came to Jesus by night and he wanted to tell Jesus what he knew. Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Those three things that we just saw over there prove to me that you're from God. You're a rabbi. You're, you're, you're a teacher. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now we look, look at that today and we say, well that's wonderful knowledge, Nicodemus. That you did, you had your eyes opened. That you saw that this man did something nobody else ever did. Now what did Jesus think about Nicodemus' knowledge? What did he think about all of his religion? Well look at verse 10, we don't have to wonder. Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you a master of Israel? Are you a teacher? Are you a rabbi? Are you one that instructs all these? And you know not these things that I'm going to teach you? How do you not know these things? It's an indictment against religion. It's, against, it's an indictment against man's knowledge and what they can attain to. That's what we had at the end of two. Many believed. But Jesus looked into their soul and looked into their heart and he said, 
They don't believe. They don't understand. And he tells us in our text today that reason. You must be born again. So let's look at those five words this morning and the rest of our time that we have together. We look at the first word, ye. It's a plural, personal word. Ye. He wasn't just speaking to Nicodemus. He was speaking to anyone who would hear. He's speaking to you and I today. You in that seat, ye. Me up here in this pulpit, me. That's who he's saying. Ye. It's personal. To know his power, to know his zeal, to know his mind, to know his complete salvation that he spoke of and all that he did and to, to know those things, ye must be born again. It's between Christ and the sinner. In John 6, 45, we have these words. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and has learned of the Father cometh to me. If you've learned and heard of the Father, it's because the Holy Spirit has revealed to you what the Father has said. The Trinity always works in unity. Now turn with me just a couple pages back to John 1. You'll come right back here. But look at John 1 and look at verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He came unto his own people, where he was born, where he was from, and they didn't receive him. They did not receive him as the Son of God. And we can sit here carnally and, 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 and almost understand why. Well, you know, we know their arguments. Oh, now he was born of uh, Mary and Joseph. We know where he lives. That's a carpenter's son. We know where he grew up. This can't be the Son of God. There's our reason again. And they didn't receive Christ. But I'll tell you who did. And that's what he tells us is. But as many as received him. How did they receive him? Well, he tells us. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's what we're talking about today. Ye must be born again. That's the power to become the sons of God. That is how you are receiving Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way. To them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's what comes afterwards. So, so many times I've heard that we believe and then we're regenerated. You know, we, we do something. We come to Christ or we believe that he is and then Christ does a work in us. That's backwards. We only believe because we're born again. Because we've been given a new heart. Because we've been given the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. That's why we believe. Not of our own faith. Not of anything we've done. It's a gift of God. And then we're told in 13, which we're born. That means born again. That means born from above because we know it's not of blood. It's not of, 
of who, who's your family. It's not that. It's not of blood. It's nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So right here at the beginning of John, where we hear the manifestation of Christ, and He is the Word, we're told that the only way to receive this one that was sent upon this earth, who came to save His people from their sins, who came out of heaven, who humbled Himself, who died on the cross, who rose again and put away our sins forever, nailed Him to the tree, took Him as far away from the Father that the Father would never see Him, clothed us in His righteousness, shed His blood for us, the only way you will ever understand that and know that is by a work of His. A work of His. And that theme goes throughout the entire Word of God. It never shifts from Christ's work. It never shifts from the Father's work. And it never shifts from the Holy Spirit's work. It never shifts back to the creature. It can't, but we're lost. You want your salvation in your hands? You want it to be because of something you've done? I don't. I hope you don't either. But see, the Holy Ghost has to convince you of that, that you're a sinner, undone, in need of salvation. So let's go back over to our text. Ye, easy word. Personal, intimate, ye. Not corporate, you. Then the second word comes, must. The absolute necessity, must. Remember, dear ones, these words are from the lips of our Savior. He is saying these words, you must. It's an absolute necessity. You must, you, you have to be. There's no other way to know. There's no other way to understand. Look at verse 3. This is how Jesus emphasized this with those two words. You know them, verily, verily. When Jesus says those things, we've all been taught. I remember the first time the pastor said that many years ago. First time I was ever exposed to that. Verily, verily means this. When Jesus said that, he meant you better sit up and take notice. I'm like, and then I found that to be true throughout all the word. When the Lord says those things, these are of absolute necessity for us to know. Not that the whole Word of God is not the absolute necessity for us, but Christ emphasized some things because you what? He knew what was in man. He knew what man's propensity was. He knows the depth of the fall. He knows that we're conceived in iniquity. He knows that. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the necessity of the new birth or to be born again is to see the kingdom of God. Now, let that sink in a minute. Because everyone at the time that they're there believes that they're seeing the kingdom of God. They're in the temple. They're the, the promised nation you know, everything's religiously going well. And Jesus tells them something. You don't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said a couple things. In Mark 10, 15, 
He says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. So that kingdom of God that is so necessary for us to see, and the only way we can see it is if we're born again, we receive as children. What is a child? You hope they're humble. I mean, don't look today as children, but children, I don't even like to use the word innocence, but that's what's being referred to here. The humbleness of a little child. The the dependency of a little child. That is how, when the Holy Spirit reveals Christ in us, when we're born again, we're humbled. We're brought down as to have like the mind of a child. Teach me, Lord. I know nothing. I'm humbled. That's what being born again is. It's not standing and saying, I know everything. I have all this knowledge. Jesus said, unless it is received as a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So we know the the importance here is to be dependent upon him. Our children, when they were young, depended upon us for everything, for the roof over their head, the food in their mouth, where they go, how they get there, the clothes on their back. As they grow up, not so much. They go on to be those adults. But Jesus is stating something here. He says, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. In Romans 14, 17... Paul wrote, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not physical. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I read that one before I got to three. Let, uh, five. Let's move on to five. Because he says it again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. That's what I was telling. That's why that verse was read. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's spiritual. It's not physical. And he tells us here, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, many put water with the Spirit because they believe that spirit, the water, the well that Jesus said springing up in you is the Spirit, and that's water. I understand that, believe that to be true, but I also know the water has much reference to Christ in the Scriptures. The water that came out of his side, either one. We must be born from above. It's spiritual. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So two things tell us about this necessity. We can't enter into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom, what is it? It's the life in Christ. It is Christ is everything in the kingdom of God. I thought I had that verse, but apparently I don't. 
where the Christ said the kingdom is in the midst of you. It's in the midst of you. So we see the necessity. We must see the necessity for life in Christ to understand the Father's will that true life today for you and I is in the kingdom of God. And we can't see it and we can't enter into it unless something takes place that we have no part in but a receiving vessel of it, being born again. And I said at the beginning of this message, I said, you know, we, we've talked so much many times over the years about this passage and about the necessity of it. And sometimes I feel like we leave things and, and as a preacher you, you feel the conviction because you wonder about the basics. If you're not born again, you don't see the kingdom. You know, when the Lord impresses this upon you, I think, at least for myself, it helps me to understand the world better. It helps me to understand why there's so much religion in this world. And I say religion. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about true people in Christ. But why there's so much religion. Why there's so much pomp and circumstance. Just like when Jesus went to the temple, there was so much, man took over what they thought was worship. And they set up their own merchant. What's the difference today? With all the bands and all the things that, that are brought in for worship that Jesus said are not true worship. Worship me, must worship me in spirit and in truth. The truth of the scriptures. The truth of the word of God. And, and to understand that, you must be born again. I don't know, that comforts me, because when I, when I think about people I've talked to my whole life and desiring them to see the kingdom of God and to know the kingdom of God and definitely to enter into the kingdom of God, I can sit and beat my head up against the wall and keep saying the same things over and over again, but when the Lord takes me here and says... Sean, understand this. You must be born again. I can understand why the Lord rejoiced that things were hidden. They're not hidden to His people. They're hidden to the world. They're hidden to a fallen world. That out of His true election are not elected into Him. That's comforting to me. Days, days they're comforting to me. There's days I believe I'm on the outside of that too. I still struggle. Still struggle. When I hear a message like this and I look at the word and it says you must be born again, the immediately thing that comes to my mind is, Sean, have you been born again? I hope that's the same for you sitting in that seat. I worry about the ones who, who don't. I worry about the ones that say, oh, I've been born again. I, I've got all this religious knowledge. Nicodemus had never heard of this, but yet his head was filled with so much religious knowledge. And thus today we have the same problem 
Yeah, that must is a necessity. But that be word, you must be, is passive. That's that receiving vessel. It's nothing we do. We receive it as a gift. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but can't not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. You can't tell. You don't know from whence it comes. So, Lord, I'd like it better if I could tell. You know, if you put a mark on people, I'd be able to tell they, they were children of God. We can't see that. We can't see that. I think about that a lot sometimes. I think about Saul and those that are, their sins are before us here in the Word of God. And I think, wow, I never would have counted any of them as being children of God. Because we, we do judge. We, we hope to judge righteously because that's what our Lord told us. But we can't do that without Him. But that B word, that little passive, we do nothing word. James tells us in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And this being born again is a perfect gift. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can help or build upon it. There's nothing we have to go out and do. That is Christ in us. That is the Holy Spirit in us. That is life in us. That is the faith in us. That is the, we know the fruit of the Spirit. That's love. That's peace. That's joy. Those are His. They become ours as they're worked out of us. As they're gifted to us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's perfect. He won't turn away from those gifts. He's faithful to give them to every one of his children who will be born to him. Not in our time. In his time. Isn't that what Paul said? I was one as one that was born out of due time. What that mean? I was born in, in the Lord's time. I'm over here persecuting the church, doing all these religious activities I think are just so pleasing to God. Now I would if I'd have been left there. He would have went the rest of his life and be in eternal damnation for religion. Following religion is whole life. But God wouldn't leave him there. He came and he saved him. Oh, the depths of sovereign grace. Turn with me over to Luke 17. This is, I told you I thought I wrote this down. I, apparently I had it for this point B, and not for the last one. But Look at verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, they kept waiting. You know. He answered them and he said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. You're not going to be able to say, There's the kingdom of God. Here's the kingdom of God. There's nothing of you that can determine what the kingdom of God is. There's nothing of you that can produce the kingdom of God. When is that kingdom? It's going to come without observation. But then he tells them something even more earth-shattering here. 
Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Did you hear that? That definitely tells us it's spiritual. Because that would be awfully awkward if that was a place inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit revealing Christ's work. The Holy Spirit revealing to you that the Father has placed everything in the Son's hands. The Father has a kingdom. And those who are in His Son, who have life in His Son, are in that kingdom. Not only are they in that kingdom, that kingdom is in them. Does that blow your mind? I know it blew theirs. Because they're waiting for a place. And a physical setting up. And that was one of the reasons they hated him so much. They thought he was going to come and set that physical kingdom. Let's go back to our text for our next word, born. We can put them both together, born again, born. Born means birth, anew. We've all been conceived in iniquity, and we all had our physical birth in this life. We're told that we're conceived in iniquity because of the fall, because Adam was our head and our representative, and we were all in him when he fell. So, we have a physical birth. That's not what this is talking about, although Nicodemus understood it that way, of course, because he's looking at the physical again, which one man always does. And, and don't miss that either, that he turned it back to himself again, this is what I need to do? I need to go back into my mother? <laughs> is that what you're saying? This is the what I need to do? No. No, that's not what I'm saying. Ephesians 2, 1 and 5 tells us, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the deadness we have. 5 tells us, Even when we were dead in sins, he's quickened us together, given life, new life, together with Christ, by grace you are saved. That's what that text says. That new life is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is that new life. He's the giver of life. And it's a new life. Jesus tells us in 1 John 5, 12, or John tells us, the power of the Holy Ghost, He that hath the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. And then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That new creature has been born again. That means the things that were old and the way that we walked is old. Does that mean we won't go back to those things? Well, we all know that, don't we? We know that that nature in us is always alive, even at the new birth. That old nature's still there. But praise be to God, we've got a new nature that's born again that's more powerful than the old nature. A victorious nature. It's Christ in us. That's the power of the new birth. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, man has taken regeneration today 
in religion. And they've come up with these little nice little things. Baptismal regeneration. Where you're baptized and the water basically saves you. It washes your sins away and that's the way you're born again by going into the water or having the water sprinkled on you or whatever way they say. That's not life. If that's all we have, we're dead. Simon Magus was baptized and he's in hell today. Unless the Lord gave him repentance, which is not put in the word of God, so I better say that. Then we have decisional regeneration, where you make a decision. And when you decide to follow Christ, or you decide to be his disciple, then you're born again. We don't see that today. That's not what Jesus said. The wind blows as it listed. It's the power of grace to overcome. There's no decision made. Jesus said, I born you again. To become a son of God... I do that for you. And then the, the, the more popular one is the, the Reformation regeneration. That's the popular one now is in the Reformed faith. That's good. We, we can turn ourselves. We can reform our lives. We can change our hearts. If you just do this. Oh yeah, it's by grace you're doing it. There's a lot of that. Be careful with that. You take that crown right off your Lord and Savior's head and you put it on yourself and you say, okay, I can do this, Lord. I can do this. That's not spoken of in this, in this, in this book. It's all of him. I hope you see that. I hope you understand that. But I say that again saying, knowing that you must be born again. That's how you enter into the kingdom. That's how you see the kingdom. You can't get there any other way. Books aren't going to help you. One sitting next to you ain't going to help you. And of course, that last word again means above. From above. That's how it's translated. You must be born from above. And that what we read in James, that every gift and perfect gift is from above. That's what we read in John 1. It comes from above. It comes from the Lord God. So that was my focus this morning. Not to stand in judgment of your new birth. Not absolutely, God forbid. But to ask you and ask the Holy Spirit, more importantly, to examine us this day. I want to leave you with the words of Paul at the end of his last letter to the words to the church at Corinth. So 2 Corinthians 13. These are five essential words. You must be born again. We can't understand the warfare that's going on in us. We can't understand Christ reigning on his throne today. We can't rest. In Him, none of that unless the Lord has given us a life in Him. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. So that was like a, he 
said, I know that you're seeking to see Christ in me as Christ has worked in you. And I, and I hope that's the case. I hope that's the case for, for all of us in here as we listen to the preached word. We desire to see Christ working in the preacher as Christ has worked in your soul. And so he says, for though he was crucified through weakness, that weakness was not that Jesus had a weakness other than he became flesh. That was his weakness. He, he, he took on our nature without sin, but he took it on. That's what that's referring to. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. Remember he said that? I'll raise it up again. For we also are weak in him because of our weakness. But our nature, our, our body does have sin in it. And boy, I tell you, I feel the effects of it every day. Every day. It's just tearing down this body. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. We shall live with him by the power of God toward you. He's speaking as a minister. That's how we live. We live by the power of God in us. Then he says this. Knowing that we live by the power of God that resides in us. Examine yourselves. And you can only truly examine yourselves if the power of God lives within you. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. How will you know what the faith is unless you've been born again? Now we as natural men can sit here and examine ourselves. We can sit there and say, well, this is, I got a mark against me, I got a mark. Or we can hear the preached word today and we can put our life up against what's being said and say, is that something found in me? Has Christ become my life like what's being said, like what's in the scriptures. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. We're one end of the spectrum to the other, right? Are you in Christ? That's the way I wanted to leave you today. I, I, I don't know. I don't. It's very wrong for me to sit up here and pronounce everybody children of God. I don't, I don't know. The Lord knows. And more importantly, He will reveal it to each one of His children. That's what I'm trying to say here. That's the faithfulness. That's what, and that's what Paul ends up. But I trust you shall know that we are not reprobates. Well, how could Paul say that? Because the Lord had revealed to Paul that he wasn't. I hope he reveals the same to you today. Because that's the whole point, is the necessity, an absolute must. We can assent to words with our minds. We can walk with our feet in a way that we see others walking. We can sit to the one next to us and see their faith and try to live off of it. But it won't enable you to see the kingdom. And it certainly won't enable you to enter into the kingdom. May the Lord be true today and every man a liar. 
And may he be pleased to search our souls, to reveal his work, to reveal the power of that new birth. Dear Heavenly Father, add thy power, thy clarity. Come, Lord, and shine thy light in our souls. That you may make our calling and election sure in thee. And Lord, you would humble us and show us what that the power of you does to bring us to thy feet. To be humble, waiting for the words to fall from thy lips, waiting for thy power to come. And Lord, in thy faithfulness, bring that power that we may be a light that shines in this world to glorify your holy name. For this I ask in Jesus' name.